Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. It's great to be together. Um, however, we're uh, doing church together this morning. We're in this series, Formed Like Jesus, studying the life of Jesus to become more like Jesus. Stephen started us off last week with studying the boy Jesus in the temple, choosing to really prioritize being with God, learning even from 12-year-old Jesus. Um, and who here knows that being more like Jesus is a good thing? You want to look at whoever is, you know, around you and just like apply a little like Jesus filter over them. Like that would be a good thing, right? Uh, receiving some more of Jesus's character and peace and, and patience, that would be a good thing for us. So today we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with temptation. Not just to learn from his example, but to be shaped and formed by his spirit working in us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us today and that you are more than just a good example. We can see, we can find many good examples around us. You are more than just a good example. You're a God who loves us, who comes close to us, who will touch us and change us, who will transform our lives. So right now we give you permission to do that. We invite you to work in us that we would not just be doer, hearers of your word, but doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so today, as I mentioned, we're going to be studying Jesus' temptation by the devil in the wilderness, the uh, temptation of Christ. And, you know, sometimes I do feel like I get some of the hard passages. If you are watching online, if you come here in person next week, we will not be talking about Satan, most likely next week. I have to check. We, we go through the whole, whole of Scripture, um, and, you know, so we, we get to different parts, different passages. We do not talk about the devil in depth every single week. I just feel like sometimes this can be a controversial topic. If we were to, you know, go post this on YouTube, it might get some varied comments. Oh, wait, we are posting it on YouTube. Hi, world. But there's some controversy around this. Two boys were coming back from Sunday school uh, one week, and they just had a Sunday school lesson on, on the devil. And the one boy says to the other boy, you know, I just don't know about this Satan character Another boy says to him, you know how Santa turned out? It's probably just your dad. Many of us have some questions about this Satan character. But, you know, I don't think I actually need to convince most of you guys on a general concept of evil. You know, a, a, a ghoul or a ghost with a dude with a red cape? Yes, you know, that's a harder sell, rightly ridiculed. I don't believe in that kind of a devil. But I think many of us, we kind of instinctively get on some base level, some sort of a, a, a God and some sort of a source of, of evil. Um, you know, there's that, that phrase, there's no atheist in foxholes. When times get tough, when we face real tragedy, many of us start praying. We, we think about the complexity of the world. I mean, just the human brain is flabbergasting. We look out at the night sky, see the stars, we enjoy the laughter of children. There's some sort of a higher power. There's some sort of a God. And subsidiary, conversely, you know, we look around 
there's some bad, dark stuff out there. There's some, some, some type of, of evil out, out there um, that just has a, you know, additive or addictive or, or powerful quality to it. You know, for example, we all know anti-Semitism is wrong. We got to take responsibility for that. That's on us. But there's another level. It's like the gas chambers of Nazi Germany. You know, we, we all make mistakes, but we do also all see things around us that seem like much more than just uh, uh, mistakes that go beyond. So I think many of us agree that there's some type of darkness out there. So let's real quick, who wants the Bible's take on what this source of evil is? Now, the Bible does not tell us everything because, you know, it's a very short book and it ran out of pages. Wait, that's, that's not it. Because... You know, these the uh, pre-moderns who were writing it or to whom it was being written, they weren't interested in such superstitious questions, and actually they were extremely interested in this. The Bible just doesn't tell us all the answers, and that's okay. We know enough. So, uh, the, the devil, Satan, um, he's a created being. Created, so he is not God's equal. He has a beginning and he has an end. He doesn't actually have a name. He has labels, labels like Satan, which means uh, accuser, tempter, deceiver. So he's basically labeled the guy who ruins stuff. He chose to rebel against God. He's been a certain animating energy behind many of the atrocities of, of human history. The job he takes upon himself is leading humans in his path of seeking autonomy from God and redefining good and evil He's been defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection, which defeated evil and death and suffering on the cross and overcame it with life and joy of the resurrection. So there can be nothing more interesting than a showdown between this guy and Jesus. It's like the Yankees versus the Red Sox. We all want to tune in for this. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, actually starting in chapter 3 to set the context. Let's read scripture together. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and alight on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, With him I am well pleased. So this is the start. He's been baptized by John the Baptist, the the last great prophet. He's anointed, chosen, confirmed in his identity. He is the Son of God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, This is a round number that undoubtedly uh, refers to the Israelites' 40 years in the wilderness. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Every time he's responding, he's not using his own words. He's using the words of scripture. Um, And each response is from Deuteronomy. So he's fulfilling Israel's righteous response in the 40 years of of tempting in the desertness. 
in the desert wilderness himself this time. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. After this, he went on to Capernaum, and from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. The word of the Lord. So after he's baptized, anointed, chosen, he fulfills his testing and then begins to uh, start his ministry uh, proclaiming the goodness of God. All right. Well, let's start uh, with who and what, where. Um, so who have we got here? Well, we've got Jesus just declared to be son of God. And we've got this character uh, that's, he's not given any physical description. His only uh, label is Diablos, meaning liar. Um, he's some sort of a spirit. Nothing is said about, you know, a body. He's got some sort of character or um, personality. You know, Jesus has just had a super intense experience with him. So how does, how does Jesus describe uh, his, his adversary la later on. He's a good, he's a good reference. Um, later on, he says, the devil is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So we have the Son of God versus the liar. What's going on? Well, it's a bit of a uh, two-sided thing. Um, the, the devil has brought him there to, to try him or, or to test him, which is negative, or to tempt him, which is negative. The spirit has allowed him, brought him out in, in order to test him, which is a little bit more of a, of a positive thing. And there are three lies. There are three temptations we're, we're going to look at because I think they're informative for us and our spiritual lives. First one, if you are the son of God, if you really are God's son, if you're really his beloved kid, if he really loves you, he wouldn't want you to be hungry. Just go, go ahead, make yourself some food. If he really loves you, he'd want you to be taken care of. It's trying to break the relationship. Tell these stones to become bread. Whether the 40 days is, is totally literally true or symbolically true, Jesus is real hungry. So take the easy way out. You know, get the stuff. It sounds very much, very much like Satan's first ever lie to humanity. The story of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, where he says, Go ahead. You're hungry. You want the good fruit? Oh, if, if God really cares about you, he'll be fine with it. Take the good stuff. Get the good stuff for yourself. Take more stuff. 
because God's not going to give it to you. Help yourself because God's not going to help you. You know, however we want to, you know, image the the forces of, uh, of evil, Satan, however we look at it, we live in a world surrounded by lies. That's nothing new. Um, and the primary way that, you know, we're, we're influenced to do bad things is not by, like, Satan doesn't, like, force us to do bad things. You know, if we've got the proverbial chocolate cake here or something, you know, no one's, like, forcing us, pick up that fork, put it in, eat, eat the chocolate cake, do it, do it, right? I might look a little re- ridiculous right now, but it's not forcing us to try and do it. It's a lie that says, that cake, oh, eating that cake will make you happy. And you have so little happiness in your life. You deserve every bit of happiness that you can take for yourself. And then we'll happily eat three pieces of chocolate cake because we've believed the lie about what will make us happy, how much we deserve it, how little happiness we have in our own lives. From day one, the enemy of our souls has has been insinuating, has been telling us that God doesn't love us like that much. God is withholding the best stuff from you. I mean, God, religion, that, 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 that's all good. But, you know, God isn't up there caring if you're happy all the time. I mean, if he's God, he's got bigger things to do. He's God. So you know what? Go for it. You deserve it. Someone else might make you happier. You, this purchase, you, you deserve this. Really, like, the devil has not come up with new material in the last 10,000 years. He's a limited, broken, joyless creature who lies. And, um, well, that's pretty much it. And the thing that Satan lies about the most, by far the most, is God and how good and generous and kind and merciful and beautiful God is. He says, you're really hungry. God's busy. Just take care of yourself. If God really loves you, he'll be fine with it. That's the lie. What's the truth? The truth, Jesus says, is that there's no separating my very real need for food from my very real need for God. There's no separating my need for food from my need for God. You know, both Adam and Eve were tempted with food. Kind of interesting. There's nothing wrong with food. But I think it gets to some of our um, most basic um, dependencies we need to eat and our most basic desires that we want to be satisfied and sated and, and filled and fulfill our dependencies and desires. The second temptation, he says, If you really are the son of God, go do something amazing. Impress people. He says, you know, take your your, your father's, you know, anti-convertible for a spin. Everyone will be like, wow, you're you're, you're so cool. And, you know, your father, if you get pulled over the house, he'll bail you out. He loves you. He cares about you. Do something amazing. Be impressive. Prove yourself. And prove God. And, you know, make God come through for you even if you're not coming through for God. Henry Nouwen says that Jesus didn't come to be a stunt man. Jesus came to love. And that's just what he does. He says, I don't have to prove God. God's already proven himself. 
you know, who's being tested here? God the Father is not being tested. Jesus is being tested. It's about Jesus, you know, human and divine being, be, being formed and proven. God the Father isn't being tested. Jesus of Nazareth is. I think sometimes in, in spiritual warfare, you know, we, we think that, like, we're passive pawns. We're kind of, like, stuck in the middle. It's, you know, spiritual warfare, not, like, me, me warfare. I'm just here, little old me. But it is actually all about me about my formation and my testing. And listen, I think there are very real forces of, of evil, of, of, of deception out there, but that doesn't make the devil an excuse. Sometimes you, you'll hear things like, you know, we got in the, the minivan to, to go to church, and then, you know, me and my wife got in, my husband got in a, in a fight, and the kids were arguing, and it was, it was just, it was the devil. Maybe. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I was impatient and tired and said hurtful things and need to, you know, take better control for what I say before my morning cup of coffee. Could be either one. On uh, Friday, we had that snow day. Such a nice snow day. Who here enjoyed our Friday snow day? Three of you. That's great. I enjoyed my Friday snow day. Um, I think I was outside for about five hours. I, uh, we borrowed snowshoes and went snowshoeing, um, sledding with the kids. Um, I shoveled. My husband and I shoveled. I, I did lots of shoveling. I, I, I like it, actually. Um, it was a great snow day. I woke up on Saturday morning. I felt a little sore and stiff. And then I went to put on a sweater. And this shooting pain went down my back yesterday morning. I've never, like, felt that before. I think it was because of the shoveling. And as my daughter was tying my shoes for me, because there's no way I can reach that far down, you know, I thought, it's Saturday. I'm preaching on Sunday. Yeah, I really like on Saturday night to, you know, go to the church. I like coming here to, to pray on Saturday night. Maybe this is like spiritual warfare that I can't go on, uh, on Saturday night. And as I eased myself into the couch with a heating pad, I thought, or maybe it's because I did my half of the shoveling in 13 minutes and then came in and bragged to my husband about how quick I did my part of the shoveling. I'm not 29 anymore. Um, but then I thought, you know what? What's the truth? The truth is, it doesn't matter that much as long as I pray on Saturday night, which I can do on my couch with a heating pad. As long as I claim the truth, I can, I can still pray. This is fine. I should also probably learn my lesson about some of my physical limits also. That would be helpful to me. But the devil isn't an excuse. Lies are real. The health of our soul being deeply grounded in, in, in God's love has never been easy. There's a battle for me that I must take some effort in. And Jesus Jesus isn't huddled there like some little kid while like his parents argue over him. He should do football. He should do soccer. You know, you know Jesus is loved. He's approved. He's anointed by his heavenly father. All is well at home. And then the spirit leads him to, to go out, to, to take on the biggest bully there is out there and to have victory in and of himself. 
You know, spiritual warfare is not um, about God versus Satan. You know, it's an epic battle, angels versus demons. Who's going to win with little me hunkered over there on, on the side? No. We know who's going to win. Jesus has already won. Satan is a loser. Jesus is victorious. The Bible says Jesus made a public spectacle of the forces of evil, triumphing over them by the cross. Spiritual warfare is not uh, simply about, you know, God versus Satan at, at all. It's simply only about whether I'm going to fully join the winning side. It's about me, my worship, my dedication, my response, my holding to the truth, my worship and dedication. And when that's settled, which it will have to be settled multiple times over the course of my life, when that is settled, then I can get on with living life under Jesus' victorious leadership, working for healing and justice. But, and I, I really think this is real, guys, but if I think that it's like God who's being tested, and I just kind of like roll over and like, oh, I'm just in some spiritual warfare. I'm just going to hunker down here and watch a little Netflix while God takes care of this. I'm going to be like, wait, well, what, what happened? God, God failed or something. It wasn't God's test. It was my test. You know, God doesn't need to be formed how I do. You know, is your soul valuable enough? Is your character, you know, worth fighting for? Friends, it is. My soul is my life's work. I just pray, God, do your good work in me. Where there is a battle for my character, for who I am. Jesus, help me to stand firm. My soul is valuable enough. My character is worth fighting for. And our response is truth. Jesus' response every time is truth. You know, sometimes with my kids, if they get into, um, you know, an argument or, or a fight, um, I don't know how, you know, you were, how uh, your, your parents facilitated uh, sibling fights with you. They just told you to shut up and, you know, get, get over it. But, you know, I try and, you know, a couple deep breaths, let's talk this out, you know, do whatever I do to facilitate a little bit of conflict resolution. And I used to say at the end, like, okay, now tell your sister two nice things about them to, you know, kind of, you know, get the relationship back on track. And then I was like, no, I don't want them saying nice things about each other. I want them saying true things about each other. Now sometimes I'll do like, okay, two true things about yourself, two true things about the other person. But I need to do this for myself. If my husband and I get into a conflict, get into a disagreement, I need to remind myself of two true things about myself and two true things about him. Because it's so easy for us to tell ourselves, like, you know what, that, that person's not, they just don't love me as much anymore. They don't care. I have to look out for myself. I need to tell myself two true things about myself and about the other person. Third, third lie. 
You know, actually, the third lie, the third lie, Satan, he just, he just cuts straight to the chase. No more trying to, you know, break the relationship. Just a fair all-in trade for power. The last temptation is power. And it is a power that we believe that, that Jesus does now have and will have in, in completion uh, at the end of uh, creation. There's just a terrible shortcut. The temptation is to take power. Jesus' response is to give worship to God. Again, responding not with his own words, but with the words of Scripture from Deuteronomy. Instead of taking power, we give power to God through worship. If we seek power, we will end up worshiping idols. If we seek political power, we'll end up making, you know, idols of politicians. If we seek social power, cultural, you know, influence, we'll end up buying into false systems, false packages, agreeing with everything just to get a seat at the table. It's destructive. For parents, if we seek power, I'll just, you know, force my kids to, to do the right thing. We don't seek power. We give power to God in worship, fully and completely worshiping God. Not worshiping our experience of God. You know, Jesus, he was not having an amazing worship experience here in the, in the desert. We don't worship our experience of God. The you know, church was amazing. I felt so empowered. You know, I, I just love the way we do things. Or We worship God, emptying ourselves, giving respect and, and reverence and thanks to God. So friends, as we look at these three lies, you know, what lies are you believing? The best lies are the ones we think are true. Um, and I took the liberty of um, putting down a couple of lies that I am tempted to believe, if uh, I may share those with you. I'm tempted to believe that others don't love me as much as they could or should. That people are waiting for me to mess up as an excuse to reject or ignore me. You can imagine how this uh, is not the best way forwards in friendships or, or relationships. That little niggly voice saying, they don't love you as, as, much as, as much as you love them or you hope they love you. There's some real lies about my own happiness um, that, that I'm tempted to believe. I think that doing what I want to do will make me happy. Oh, you know, I, if I just, I'm going to read this great book and go for a run, and then this causes problems on my Saturdays because then I end up having to deal with this problem. Uh, and, and instead, I'm to find happiness in terms of my own preferred activities rather than happiness at my state of, of self with myself and with God. I can be happy cleaning the floor. I can be happy doing what, whatever job. I can be happy many things with Jesus. The best lies are the ones that we think are true. And the goal of all these lies is to break relationship, primarily with God. The biggest lies that Satan tells us are about God, that he is not as beautiful and kind and merciful and generous as he is. That faith is good, but you know what we really need to work on is this was a social issue that, you know, God loves me, but 
the love you really want is from other, other people, that giving everything to God will leave us, you know, empty and, and broke and unhappy. What lies are you tempted to believe about what will make you happy? As we look at this passage, you know, all the question marks, um, the, the question marks are not with God. The question marks are with this new biblical character, Jesus. We're in chapter 4. We're just in the beginning of this uh, uh, story. Will Jesus pass the test? Will he be the new Israel completing the wilderness the journey? Jesus' response is one of personal integrity and faithfulness to God. All the question marks lie with me and my character, not with God. I want to refuse to take the easy way of meeting my own needs and need God. I want to refuse to test God. I want to take my own test. I want to refuse to grab power instead to give power to God and join with God's power in worship. All the question marks lie with me and all the answers are found in Jesus. After Jesus said this, away from me, Satan, you shall worship the, your God only. After he said this, the devil left him and angels attended to him. What's the end of the story? Jesus won the battle and Jesus will win the war. As he enters finally the enemy territory uh, of death and suffering of corrupted justice, racial oppression, betrayal, lies, as he dies on the cross, he, he, will defeat it. he will defeat the enemy by rising to new life. In our uh, war on lies, Jesus gives us the example, he gives us the method, and he gives us the solution all in himself. Jesus is the truth said the word, the truth, became flesh and dwelled with us. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We can know Jesus and know truth. Rejecting the lie that God doesn't really love us, that God is far away from us, that God is withholding from us, that we have to prove ourselves or, or take power for ourselves— the truth is known in Jesus. It's embodied. It's a great spiritual mystery beyond understanding that the truth has come and wrapped itself in human flesh. In a Jewish rabbi, we know we are loved. We know God is close. That God is with us. That God has conquered sin and suffering and death. We can know what God is like fully and completely. And knowing the truth will set us free from lies. Uh, let's stand together. We're going to go into a time of worship if the worship team wants to come on up. You know, I know many of us have probably heard the devil is a lie. But are our hearts this morning fully grasping onto the truth of God as a strong response against the lies and influence of the enemy? We are often very eager to believe the lies of the enemy. 
we cooperate, we have other messages from media, from the world, from society that reinforce it. We want to hold, hold firm to the truth of God. So let's stand together this morning. And Jesus, we thank you that the truth is not an a ab, object, you know, set of propositions, but you are truth. You are love. You are truth. And you have come to set us free. So this morning we, we reject the lies of what will make us happy, the lies of what will make us powerful or successful. And we hold strong to you. We say that life and freedom is found with you. Joy and peace are found in following you and serving you only. Thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you that you are merciful and generous and kind enough to stake our whole lives on. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. stories of what they think you're like, but I hear a tender whisper of love the dead of night when you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Who I am, who I am, who I am.